Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Ghana's Podcast. Today, we have on a very special guest. We have on a CEO, a co-founder, a former educator, and analyst at Goldman Sachs, Matt Stevenson. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Alexander. I think that was my best intro ever. I'm, I'm trying to be better at like giving people great intros, so that was the first time doing that. It felt pretty good. Thanks for calling me very special. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, something that really like we were off air just now and you said prioritize your priorities, which is something that, um, you know, I, I really liked. And so I wrote that down, but what's a big priority for you at the moment? Uh, I would say mental health is a big priority for me at the moment. Um, you know, I, um, I think it's, it should be normalized to talk about having a therapist. I have a therapist. Yeah. who helps me significantly um, process. Like, I've got a lot going on in my head. Um, and um, there's there's just any number of hats that I have to wear on any given day. And I think, you know, in the same way that you should be going to your GP when something's wrong, um, you should be seeing someone, um, whether a psychologist or a mental health practitioner um, to to um, to maintain and improve your mental health. Um, and so I do that um, pretty significantly. I also, you know, um, I haven't been great about it. We were talking, well, this is what we were talking about um, around physical fitness, but it was also just sort of physical fitness and making sure that I feel, um, you know, I feel well based on how I'm treating my body and hmm. what I'm putting into it. And so those are other things that I prioritize. Um, uh, intermittently, but trying to be more consistent. <laughs> yeah, the, the name of the game is consistency, but I, I couldn't agree more about mental health. Um, I'm, I'm 28 now, but I, I've been going to, to therapy since I was 23. So I started going when I was in graduate school. I go um, twice a month still, and it's just such a refresher for me each time I get to talk to my therapist and I, you know, I end each session, I just feel great and I feel like I have a game plan. But um, yeah, man, it's been really helpful. Also, I love how my my therapist, I don't know about yours, but I get book recommendations too that I get to read. And then slowly over time, I implement them into my life and behaviors as well. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't agree more about just talking about mental health more. And I think we're seeing that too with technology. You see a lot more apps nowadays kind of um, promoting mental health, which I think is great. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. So if you could kind of just tell people who you are and, and what you do, because I, I think what you do is incredible. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear all about it today. Yeah, thank you. So uh, Matt Stevenson, CEO and co-founder of Code to College. I am the son of Jamaican immigrants um, raised in New York, um, specifically New Rochelle, New York, Westchester County. Um, I have been raised or I have been raised with education and public service being uh, paramount importance to, to me and to my family. And that was realized in everything from serving at my church's uh, soup kitchen every uh, Saturday to being a math tutor at school. Um, and then ultimately, a lot of the other things that I, I did in my life and, and, and truly what I'm doing right now with Code to College we are an Austin-based uh, but nationally serving nonprofit that serves as a conduit between the tech ecosystem 
and high school students who are mostly black, Latino and girls uh, to deliver after school coding education, professional skills development, mentorship, and ultimately placement into these life-changing paid summer internships with tech companies like Atlassian, VMware, and about 30 others. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And uh, when I was kind of doing some digging and research on Cody College and you, um, I believe like there was like a TED talk and it's like a two minute or three minute segment of you talking and breaking it down. This was like from 2018, I believe. But what struck me was just how passionate you were about talking and also just the prowess that you had on stage, being able to like command and, and your cadence and everything. And um, I just remember being kind of blown away at like, okay, like I was bought in, like I was sold um, about it. So I, I thought that was incredible. Um, what kind of, where did you get the inspiration for Code to College? Because again, like I, I think it's much needed, but also I don't hear about rumblings like this too often. So, you know, this was, this was an organization that I started in 2016 that had been bubbling uh, in my, in my mind since probably about uh, 1999 when I was about to graduate from high school and go off to college. Um, you know, when I, when I was about to graduate, uh, again, this is related to church, but one of the elders had asked me, you know, what are you planning to do in school? And um, I said something probably in business. And she said, do something in computers. And I know that I didn't know what she was talking about. I don't think she knew what she was talking about. Uh, or maybe she did, because ultimately I double majored in finance and information systems, and it changed my life. Um, I coded all throughout uh, my undergraduate experience, and it led to my first you know, um, part-time role outside of work study, whereas uh, serving as a webmaster for, um, for a small business. Um, I did, you know, a variety of jobs on campus. I, I did some, um, some coding projects on the side and it was, I was able to significantly defray my college expenses. And even after I graduated from college, it helped to set me apart once I got my role at Goldman, um, from the other analysts, because mm -hmm. I was, um, building VBA macros, um, that was, making my job easier, it was making the lives of my team easier. And so um, coding, I realized pretty early on was just this, this skill set that had such low barriers to entry. I mean, we're talking about 20 years ago, all you had to do was pick up a book. Yeah. Um, and now it's even easier. You know, you just, you hop on, uh, hop on a computer. Yeah, hop on YouTube. I mean, there are so many free resources out there. And even though the barriers are so low, the, um, the potential opportunities are limitless. And so um, I, I learned from then on, I, I wanted to figure out how do I offer up this skill set to, to students who otherwise might not have this access and, and give them these opportunities. So, um, you know, fast forward, I, I worked for an organization called SEO, where we placed um, undergraduate students uh, who are mostly Black and Latino, into front office roles at banks like Goldman and Deutsche. And these were students from way off target schools. Like I'm mm -hmm. talking about like, oh, what, like University of Miami? It's just like, nah, that's, I mean, I'm talking about like Kennesaw State, you know, like way, like a couple thousand students there. You probably haven't heard of the college before. And it was creating a level playing field because these students were, uh, they were being brought up to New York. They were crushing it getting full-time offers, making 
more money than their their parents could could even imagine sending money yeah. home it was really building generational wealth and i think between what i had learned um in in undergrad and the coding skill set my experience at seo i said this is it i want to replicate mm. uh and, and make an organization like this that is reaching back even before college because so many students count themselves out yeah. of college yeah. and and offer up this coding skill set so Got my MBA at Wharton, um, went the traditional route uh, after finishing my MBA and taught high school math. Um, after that, um, was working for a venture philanthropy and then ultimately uh, was recruited to come down here to Austin. And you know, within a couple of months, looked around and said, this is it. Um, you've got this booming tech hub. Even back then, um, and I'm saying even back then, but I'm, I mean, 20 years ago, it was, it was still a, a nascent tech hub. Um, but you have these students who are stones throw away from these mega tech companies like Meta and Google um, and would probably never expect that they could work there, let alone as engineers. And so I, I just went around to some tech meetups, started to recruit volunteers and say, I'm thinking of this thing. Would you be interested? And yeah. it's really taken off from there. Um, I, I have like so many segues and questions just from listening to you, but one, do you find yourself still coding now? Um, and then when you mentioned coding, are we talking like Python or Java or like R? And then also now that since you know how to code and you've you've known how to code for quite a while, does that like kind of find your its way into like problem solving? Do you think about things differently? So on the coding question, sadly, I'm, I, you know, I think I haven't touched my GitHub in like okay. at this point last summer so I, I you know i did i did want to have our team coding like one hour a week and mm -hmm. we've, i mean it's a good problem we've been growing um exponentially um but we're working on that i'd like for all of our team to code because yeah. i do think the the folks who don't have that background are intimidated and i want to normalize it it's like coding is it's it's not just um it's not just uh this thing that's not intimidating but rather it's it's fun and it like you said it helps to push you to think a different way um i do think that i think pretty mathematically about everything like every minor major decision that i'm making um even down to my kids when they're, you know, they're playing around, I'm thinking sort of like three or four steps ahead, almost <laughs> like a decision tree of like, don't do that. Because if you do that, then this is going to happen. Then she's going to do that. And he's going to do that. And then this is going to happen. And there's going to be screw. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, it's what happens when, you know, you, you come from a, a family of risk management professionals, but um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I love coding. I encourage everyone to code. I think it's, it is, it's a, it's a marketable skill set. It's, and like I said, it's fun. It is so much fun. Yeah. I, um, I was in a data science course last year. Um, and really just long story short, right now I'm in the midst of learning SQL and then Python is really my like long-term goal for the year to slowly kind of digest it. Um, cause last year I tried to just like do it way too fast. Um, so I found it to be unsustainable. So I think going like, um, at a more realistic pace would be a lot better for me. Um, let's see. Also, what made you realize that more representation was needed, um, for minority and low income, come students and women as well in, in this like coding and technology field. 
You know, I, so, I mean, the data is out there. I'm, I'm, I'm really big on data and um, we already know that, you know, in terms of computing related jobs that were in the single digits for both, um, both black and, and Latino professionals. And it's, uh, it's a paltry amount respective to, um, or excuse me, relative to the proportion of the, the, those populations in the United States. And so, um, and then also when you, when I, I mentioned I was going on these, these tech meetups to recruit volunteers, whenever I go uh, to conduct a volunteer recruitment, lunch and learn at any of these companies, I mean, there are not a lot of black people, you know, uh, with the exception of, um, you know, with the exception of some of the larger companies who can invest very heavily in recruitment. Although I will say that, you know, that does not let, you know, the, the, the small and medium businesses off the hook. It's not about money. That's, that's not the, um, you know, it's not the money. It's not the prestige or brand recognition that is stopping them from having a diverse workforce. Um, it's so much more than that. It's, it's about, you know, how are you recruiting them? You know, how are you retaining your current diverse uh, yeah. workforce, right? Um, you know, what, what is it that you're doing in, within your organization that, um, that is emblematic of DEI as opposed to just having a Black Lives Matter or red, black, and green version of your logo? Like, how are you acting out those values that you purport? So um, those are, you know, just with my own eyes and also seeing the data, um, I, I knew that we had a, we had a diversity problem. I, I will say the other thing is, I, you know, from the mouths of the hiring managers to my ears, you know, we can't find any black or Hispanic tech professionals. Like the how pipeline. Much, how, how much do you buy into that right there? Um, I mean, I think that it's, uh, that it's, 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 you're aware of your, your, your awareness is, is limited by, um, sort of your, your comfort level and, and what you're willing to, what you're willing to explore. Right. And so I think a lot of, um, a lot of people in general, are in their bubble and are uh, they pattern match, and they work within their own networks. And if your network is white, then everyone you source is going to be white, right? If you are looking uh, in mainstream um, mainstream job search portals, um, or or you're posting on main mainstream job search portals, um, then yeah, you're probably going to get folks who generally have access. But if you're, you're relational and you're building um, partnerships with organizations that work within um, these underestimated communities, then yeah, you will start to source the folks who you're looking for. You know, I, um, I, I teach a class at the Macomb School of Business at UT Austin, and we had a speaker come by and, you know, uh, I think one um, one of my one of my students had asked, "Well, I'm having trouble finding nonprofits that are black run." Like she said, "Well, how are you looking for them?" 
It's like, well, you know, I'm using like GuideStar, which is, you know, one of the major sort of um, nonprofit reporting websites or like Charity Navigator, or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking on, you know, some of the community foundation sites. She said, okay, well, how about you go down to, and she named like five different restaurants in East Austin, which, you know, for any of your listeners, you don't know, like that is a very black um, community, like yeah. uh, high, high density of black families in that, in that community. And she said, go into those restaurants, sit down and ask the proprietor. And if that feels, if that feels, if that makes you feel nervous, investigate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Explore that a little bit. Yeah, you're going into, like, I'm telling you to go to a restaurant and ask the restaurateur, uh, tell me about some of the, the, the organizations and the professionals who are doing things in the community because I'm looking to find a Black-led nonprofit. And she said, they will be able to tell you. You're, you're not going to find them uh, using mainstream tools. And, and I think that that's, that's uh, you know, if you extrapolate that, that's the problem. That is why uh, we hear that there, there are no black or brown tech professionals um, to, to take out of the pipeline. There's so many great like points and tidbits that you just mentioned, but I, I do agree that it's really important to kind of explore that uncomfortability that you have. Like if you were to just say that blankly, anyone would be open to going to any part of town to ask that. But when you mentioned specifically a predominantly black area, it's like, you know, there's nervousness now all of a sudden. And then two, I, you know, like a month ago, I was interviewing for positions in the tech realm. And um, I think I had like 11 or 12 interviews, like with hiring managers in a, in a week. And what really struck me was there was only like one woman and that was it. And the rest was just, you know, white people. And I'm not saying that's bad or anything. I'm just saying that um, the lack of diversity, you know, and you mentioned it can influence just naturally your given circle. Um, and then I think, you know, diversity is extremely important in technology, too, because just with building technology and, and the code, like the implicit bias, it's kind of just directly put into it. That's why it's important to have different people at the table, because now you're you're having those different perspectives um, that are bringing thoughts to the table, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 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 I mean. I will say one of the um, one of the tropes that I despise uh, despise the most is we look for diversity of thought, and <laughs> diversity of thought is a dog whistle. Diversity of thought means you are talking to a uh, a white professional or a white group is very uncomfortable with uh, racial diversity and therefore what they are, uh, what they are implying is that um, they're implying meritocracy of thought and that uh, in order to, that you could very well, and I, this was actually, uh, this woman, she, she, she got sort of dragged for this, but there was a diversity, uh, former diversity professional who, when she was asked, could you have a room filled with 12 blonde haired, blue eyed white men and have diversity? And she said, yes, diversity of thought. And so, you know, it's problematic, right? Because I think, yeah, absolutely. They can, they can all have um, different experiences, different education, but if you're truly looking for diversity, I mean, the, this nation isn't a nation of blonde haired, blue eyed 
people. This world certainly is not. As a matter of fact, if we were looking to be more representative, it would be the skin tone, the melanin would be kicking with those 12 people, right? So um, I, I just, it is, a, it is a tool of white supremacy. It is a distraction. And it's, um, you know, as soon as I hear that, I either exit the conversation or call it, call it out what it is, you know? <laughs> um, I like to exit the conversation though, um, keep my blood pressure down. Yeah, I was about to say that the mental and physical health, man. Uh, um, you mentioned it earlier, so I might as well just ask about it, but uh, adjunct professor at the Macomb School of Business, I, I think that's super cool. How has that experience been going and, and what do you teach? And then also what do some of those discussions look like um, in your classroom? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been cool. Um, I've always been a, a fan of education, not a fan. I think they would be putting it lightly. I've, I've always <laughs> been passionate about education and I was a high school math teacher, as I mentioned, which was one of the most challenging, but most rewarding experiences of my, my professional career and personal career too. Um, and so when I was approached to teach the investing in philanthropy class, I, you know, I was, I was, I was absolutely honored um, to tell you a little bit more about this class. It's a part of this program um, called the Philanthropy Lab, which, uh, you know, it, it was launched out of New South Wales. And um, it, it is focused on putting um, mostly undergraduates, but in my case, MBAs in the seat of philanthropists by teaching them about social impacts, nonprofit evaluation, um, ultimately, they have to work as a team to select one nonprofit organization that they are going to um, that they're going to support uh, or sorry, excuse me, perform due diligence on. And once they perform that due diligence, um, they ultimately draft a um, they draft a pitch pitch to the rest of the class in an effort to secure a significant portion of a grant that was extended to extended by an alum to that class. Um, in our case, our class is working with about $50,000. And so there are a couple of teams who um, they will be, um, they'll, they'll be buying for that, that pool of funds for their nonprofit. And Code to College was actually selected as one of those organizations uh, at this point, uh, this is 22, so back in 2019, so three years ago, and um, we secured a, a pretty significant amount of that, which was um, which was critical growth capital for us at the time. Yeah. It allowed us to hire our first full-time employee, and um, and so the 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 lead professors of the program they turned around and said, you know, this past fall, would you like to teach the course because we're looking for someone with of domain ex, domain expertise but also who's who's actually working in the space yeah as opposed to academic and I said of, of course I would love this so it's been a great experience thus far um you know definitely getting my sea legs back uh as a teacher especially uh since I haven't talked to MBAs before but you know I'll say that it's um it's been a great experience that that's so fun and uh when I was in graduate school I, I lectured classes I I'm extremely passionate about like uh, in whatever role I'm serving people, like closing knowledge gaps for others. And um, my mentor actually asked me to uh, be an adjunct professor at Texas State this semester, but I declined. Um, 
because I was job hunting and I wanted to like get into the workforce. So, but would have loved to taken that opportunity because educating is, it's just so special and, and seeing like the light bulbs click for people or helping kind of facilitate thoughts and, and future plans. I, I think it's so exciting. So um, do you think you'll, you're open to continuing being adjunct from here on now? Yeah. I mean, so, so long as my, my schedule can, can sustain it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I think it's important to do things uh, so long as you're enjoying them, right? Life is too short and I'm, I'm loving everything that I'm doing. So. Yeah, that's cool. I, again, you only get one life and like, you might as well capitalize on the things you love. So, um, and then let's see, what did I want to ask you about? If you could kind of like just break down the, the three pillars at, at Code to College, because I, I think I like looking into companies and businesses and seeing kind of where their values lie. Yeah, sure. So um, we have three pillars, uh, education, exposure and experience. Those are based on the what we've identified as the three primary factors leading to STEM attrition for Black, Latino, uh, female and low income undergraduate students. Um, now, the, the data that I love to share is 50% um, of women 50% of low income, two thirds of Hispanic and uh, nearly three quarters of black undergraduate students who initially select a STEM major, ultimately switch to a liberal arts degree or drop out completely. Really? And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's staggering, it's staggering data. It's, it's disappointing data. And, you know, I mean, it's why we exist because these are, these are fixable problems. They're absolutely fixable. And so, you know, education, we're addressing the fact that a lot of students don't have computer science education. Uh, yeah, a lot of yeah. students, they don't have, you know, family members or, or friends who work in the tech ecosystem and therefore can afford um, access to these skills. And so we're bridging that gap um, by delivering any of our technical curricula to students via our skills-based volunteer program model. You know, these are software engineers and devs working at major tech companies who are teaching them. Um, exposure, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's so many things that we as professionals stumbled upon uh, for no good reason. You know, um, like I'm sure we both have like a pretty okay resume that like before that was like a crap resume. And before that, it looked like like trash. And <laughs> and like the only thing that makes it better is practice. So yeah. if that's the case, why not start earlier? And so we start as early as ninth grade with our students um, developing their first resumes. And then we, we iterate on that. Each and every time it gets a little bit better, but by the time they get to college, they've got a, a pretty slamming resume to oh, speak of, which- so sorry, are you oh. saying there's like four years of iteration on a resume for some of the kids that y'all are working with? Absolutely. I think that's incredible because that's such a, you know, it's almost kind of gatekeeping, like, oh, it doesn't look right it's out the window. Right. So like if you're showing these, this population at such a young age, I, I think that's so cool. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think back to, I remember someone looked at a resume that I had and said, you know, what did she say? It looked tacky. She said it looked <laughs> tacky. I said, Oh, that hurt. That hurt me down deep. I was like, Oh, I was so proud of it too. But, um, but you know, had I, had I started earlier, uh, not to say that it's looking to, I mean, like I, 
I mean, I'm a little bit different. I appreciated that feedback because it was real. Um, but had I, had I experienced resume development starting in high school? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I'm doing okay for myself, but it, it just would have been even better. Um, but we do resume development, interview skills. All of these things are in service of give them these early interventions and a lot of what we call an education at bats or practice, right? Mm -hmm. The more at bats, the better you're going to get. We also do STEM industry case competitions. You know, how are you going to know that you want to be a test engineer or a biomedical engineer or an architect or an investment banker if you've never heard of the profession, let alone met someone who filled that role? And so we develop these groundbreaking case competitions in partnership with companies so that students can really get their hands dirty. We don't do sort of career panels where they sort of sit back and just listen, but rather we develop these uh, problem statements and they, they get their hands dirty with these cases and learn these frameworks and then pitch out to, uh, or pitch to, um, uh, to not only their classmates or peers, but also to, um, to these professionals. I mean, oh, wow. and about semiconductors, um, FinTech, we've even done a private equity case competition. And so, I mean, what ends up happening is students that by the end of it, they're saying they're everything from like, wow, I love private equity. What courses should I be taking in high school? What colleges should I look at? What major should I select? Or they say, I hate private equity. I never want to hear about it again. But either way, they're able to make much more informed decisions about their futures. Yeah. Uh, again, man, I, again, so many segues I could go with this. Um, first, you rattled off some statistics in terms of people that have dropped out after a certain point in certain subjects. Um, I wanted to ask, what's the root? And then also, I love the resume iterating again. That really stands out to me because not only does it look better, but in that time, it's also developing like the belief, like in their own experience that they're capable of doing these jobs. I, I think that's also really powerful. Um, and then let's see. Also, I love that they're going through these case studies as well and, and pitching to professionals and just getting that experience. Um, and these are also at these lower income schools and underserved populations. Yeah, I, I think that's incredible because you're, you're instilling this belief that they can do these types of positions. I, I have a, a client um, that I train and um, he works at Amazon and he's mentioned that he'll go to school fairs in these East Austin and things like that. And no one comes up to him to work at Amazon and consulting in the cloud. And you, it's more so they're at McDonald's booth or like pet boys and, and not to like talk down on that, but it's really just the belief that they could work at Amazon or the Google or the Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, again, this, you know, really speaks to the exposure. If, if all you know of Amazon is, I mean, <laughs> if all you know of Amazon is seeing packages on like the stoop, maybe they're, they, you know, cloud computing, or maybe they're not even thinking of it in terms of that. They yeah. see it and maybe delivery, you know, I, I mean, I, my mind goes there because, um, there's so much that we as adults assume about students. And when you ask the questions, whether it be via survey or anecdotally, you're usually wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I mean, I thought that um, our students, like, you know, what, is, what, is, what resonates most with them? Is it the fact that I didn't even talk about the third pillar experience, but 
you know, experience, that's us placing our high school students into these life-changing uh, paid summer internships. But I would think like telling a student that they could earn a multiple of what their friends are earning, you know, at like service-related jobs or, you know, uh, retail over the summer, I thought that, you know, that was like the main hook of is why they particip participated in the program. But students were saying that they were applying to our program because they found out from their friends that we, you know, went to offices of Google and like got free <laughs> breakfast and lunch, right? They found out that they got to, you know, walk these offices, like walk the offices of like, you know, Meta and see like, like where the Instagram, you know, team works, right? Yeah. And got, like a big, like, display or activation with like the Instagram logo and they can take selfies. I, I mean, it's, it sounds silly like to an adult, but it's like, what is engaging for them is what mm -hmm. matters and, and what do they value? Even if it's like in the moment, right? Um, because that's what's going to like, being able to understand them is, is what's going to help convert them. So um, yeah, that's, that's, the, the, that last pillar experience, I will say, though, is the highest leverage activity that we do. Those set students on a, I mean it when I say it, life-changing trajectory, because how many high school students do you know are doing, you know, software engineering internships? None. Atlassian, indeed. None. And None. certainly not ones that are, you know, black or brown. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you instantly stand out. I'll never forget um, when our very first intern placement came back from her orientation at Texas A&M. And she said she was surrounded by students talking about, well, my dad is, you know, CTO at this company or this other one saying, um, you know, I, I've been taking apart computers since I was seven. And this other one I've been coding since I was 12. And then she looked around and said, you know, um, have any of you interned yet? And she, they were like, what are you talking about? We just, we just started here. Like, in fact, we didn't even start here. We're, we're pre-frosh. Of course not. And she said, I just finished my second internship. It's like mic drop, right? <laughs> like, 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 and I'm not saying they were trying to intimidate her, but it's like, I, I promise you, like, of all of you, she's the most qualified here. She's got the practical experience. And she's been coding, you know, since like she started with Code to College. So that's that's what we do. I I love that. And and again, that kind of segues to my next question. But do you have like any other success stories that like really resonate with you, really make you proud? Uh, yeah, that just kind of stand out. Because I, I remember reading one of you. Oh, I love your LinkedIn, by the way. I love how active you are in it. You're always keeping us updated. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned like you caught up with an old student or something and like they were like doing incredible things. And I was like, that's that's it. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, they're they're um, who, to, who to tell you about. I mean, you know, there's there's one student who comes to mind who she. Um, you know, she started with us when she was a sophomore she hadn't coded before. Um, she actually, so, um, you know, I'm not, you know, I mean, it's a podcast, so I'm sure anyone can listen to it. I'm not sure what your, what your um, subscribership, what the ge geography looks like, but, you know, this young lady's from Del Valley. So, uh, you know, a depressed region in Austin, 
I mean, it's a food desert. Like, yeah. I mean, you go out there. I don't know where the closest grocery store is or, or, you know, where you can get fresh produce, which, you know, is part of the definition of a food desert. And, you know, she started with us. Uh, I will say she, I mean, she was, she was very passionate about learning how to code and she did her best. Um, she came back the next year having felt like it wasn't a super successful year. Mm -hmm. And she took the same course over again and was ultimately placed uh, at a tech internship last summer. Um, she came back this year and some, you know, I mean, look, these are, uh, I don't want to call overachiever, underachiever, you know, what have you, but there are some of our interns who, after they finish a successful internship, they're like, I'm good. I got the return offer. I'm going to take it easy this year, which like, yeah, I get that. Like, good for you, you know, because two hours a week in code to college programming, not to mention workshops is a lot. She came back and took two of our newest courses. She is now the most, the most eligible, most qualified, whatever you want to call it, um, student in our entire program of like several thousand students. Oh, wow. And she got the return offer at the tech company that she was with, but she interviewed elsewhere. And in fact, she interviewed at a couple places. She got an offer everywhere she interviewed and was able to choose where she, she's, she's has not even finished high school yet. <laughs> and she already has an internship under her belt. And she just interviewed with like four different tech companies and she got an offer from all of them and got to choose where she went. Um, and what I'm most proud of is her stick to her commitment to herself. Like she invested in herself and said, like, I want to figure this out. I'm coming back. Like this didn't feel successful, but I know that I know that I want to do this, you know? Yeah. And, and she, to say that she did it would be an understatement. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I, I think that speaks volumes about her, but also about the environment that y'all have been able to create for the students where they feel comfortable enough to return. Um, and I, I don't think people can fathom, but, you know, when she went on the internship, they're, they're paid or not. But, you know, there's probably times when the kids are making more money than their parents that summer. Like that's, that's eye-opening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it happens quite often. I mean, I, look, I, I won't say too much, but Austin, I think was just rated the number one city for, tech salaries and yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, what have been your biggest takeaways as, you know, a, a co-founder and a, a CEO? Um, learn to love hearing no. Hmm. No makes you stronger. No makes you more um, nimble and creative. Um, I would say, also that, you know, always believe, never doubt yourself, hmm. never doubt yourself. You know, I think another way that you could say it is like, always believe in yourself. It's like, yeah, always truly always believe in yourself. But I think what's more important is never doubt yourself, never doubt that you can, that you can do it. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've heard no's all along the way and eventually the no's turned into maybes and a lot of yeses and, and now I'm just getting a lot of inbound, 
you know, now, now I'm, I'm on the other side of it where it's like, geez, Louise, I got to hire more people. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a great problem to have. It's, but, but again, it's sort of that compound interest that's getting returned to you, right? Like you had to keep that consistent effort over time and just trusting that process. So I, I think it's really cool that now it's inbound and you're getting a lot of attraction from outside people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel blessed for sure. And I feel like I've got a, I've got an 18. This is the best team I've ever worked with. So nice. Uh, where do you see Cody college going from here? Um, I mean, it's not too much to say we take over the world, but I mean, we are, <laughs> we're, we're a slice of, uh, the future of work that is, is nascent, you know, um, high school technical internships, you know, some people do them like here and there, but they're not really widespread. No. Um, there's still, there's still, you know, in terms of the adoption curve, we're still very much in sort of like the innovate innovator, um, corner where folks don't know about it, or if they've heard of, heard of it, they're pretty, you know, sort of skeptical around like the viability of it. Um, but I mean, we've, we've had some great success. And I think right now is the time to kick it in a second gear. Um, we're national in terms of where we deliver our programming. So now it's time to, you know, place nationally as well. Yeah, I love that. And, and again, like, you know, when I was at OU, um, a lot of my friends would go work somewhere else for an internship for great companies. And that was like a really big deal. So I can't really imagine what it's like to go in high school and go do those things. Like that's just incredible to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> the arc that so many of our I would say all of our students go through. But I mean, the arc for some of them in particular is just it. I mean, there's one student I'm thinking of right now who I met him when he was a freshman. He was I mean, he's a smart kid, but he's he's, he's kind of goofball. And, um, you know, I mean, look, he you're a freshman, you're, you're a freshman boy, of course, you're going to be immature. But I mean, the arc that he went through after a year in our program, and then going the second year to then becoming an intern, and, and he had a very successful summer internship. But the, the word that I got back from the team was like, we love this kid. Like he, he's, he's not only, he not only fit in and was, you know, providing like snarky comments, like snarky, uh, snarky, appropriately snarky yeah, comment, yeah. you know, in the code, but he was helpful. Like he would point out errors and bugs. He would jump in and help members like vertically, whether other high school interns, undergrads, like FTEs. I mean, he said like, we want to convert him to an FTE. We hope that he continues to come back every year. So, um, yeah, he sounds like a, he sounds like a unicorn, someone that can communicate, but also has the technical prowess. Um, uh, he's, you know, the only reason I'm pausing is because I think he does really well in, um, he does really well in technical environment. And I think one of the things that I not, not that I struggle with, but one of the things that we try to work on with our students is the comfort or the, 
the the unexpected level of informality hmm. in the tech workforce. Yeah. Because so many students, and I mean, I was raised this way, like, and we're in Texas. And so like, you know, you, you're, 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 you're taught to respect your elders. You're taught to call people, sir, and ma'am, and Mr. And miss. And, um, I think one of the greatest benefits of our program is that since it's delivered by volunteers, these are, fo- they start out with a Mr. Pina, right? Yeah. And then, then Mr. Alexander and then <laughs> Alexander and then dude, right. You know, and like what a lot of folks don't understand is that ability to code switch is, is a barrier itself. It, it's like, it's one of those invisible barriers. Yeah. And so I only pause on this student because that was something that along with his maturity that he grew into. So I, I feel like we, we could definitely call him a unicorn, but I like to think of him more as a great growth story, you know, yeah. and we have so many of them, you know? Yeah. I love that. I, I, um, I work at a company called Disco um, and I love it. Um, and I, apparently we do work with y'all as well, um, from time to time, but I love it. But something that took me by surprise was just how focused everybody was, but also how like, not like, you know, I just had these preconceived notions. I've never been in technology before. I thought it would be way different, but it's way more open. Everyone is so kind and generous to lend help. Um, so it's been really cool to be embraced in that type of environment, but, um, I only we have, love disco. we love disco, by the way, yeah. we're sending sending disco to interns this summer no way well when they get there tell them to link up with me i'd love to be a resource for them um but i only have two to three questions for you left again thank you so much for giving me your time today but you mentioned that you kind of had this idea from 1999 so fast forward to today does code to college look like you how you had envisioned it back in 1999 so i mean you know and i i would say the seed started in 99 i think i only truly had um some of somewhat of a vision of what i what i thought this could be starting in you know right before we we incorporated in 06 or uh 2016 excuse me and and no it does not look at all like what i thought <laughs> it would look like in 2016 let alone 2017 and like i mean every time we set goals in terms of number of students served in terms of interns placed, we've blown those goals sort of out of the water so i'm just like am i not dreaming big enough yeah. <laughs> like and clearly that's that's the case uh, and i'm excited about our growth but you know um i think we are all our own biggest hurdle and For so sure. i want to i want to i want to get more aggressive with what we're doing i love that um all right this is my favorite question to ask people when i ask every episode if you had your own podcast um, and two companies reached out to sponsor the podcast, what are your top two favorite companies that you would hope reach out to you to sponsor your podcast? And it doesn't have to be technology related. It could be like anything. Yeah. So we do have a podcast for Code to College. Hopefully I can plug it technically yeah. 200 where we, <laughs> where we highlight black and Latino women in STEM. So like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Um, I but, think you, uh, you mentioned today, uh, season four, episode zero is out today, right? I, I sure did. I sure did. Yep. Thank you very much. Uh, who would those two companies be? Um, uh, so 
I won't say this first company because they're not in line with my my health goals. Um, and I, I feel like if I speak them into existence, I'm going to start eating there again and it's not going to be good. Um, so I would say I love, um, I do love HEB. I love HEB. Yeah. Um, and so would love to get a sponsorship from them. And then um, uh Geico, because Ooh. I love their commercials. Their <laughs> commercials are hilarious. So I just feel like they'd have a really funny commercial. You know, I think that speaks uh, highly of Geico, considering they changed the the voice of the you know the the lizard over over time. So I think that's cool that they still kept you there. You know, but isn't Geico the one that also does like the funny, like the they do like the like the puns. Right. I, th- I think so. Possibly. Yeah. Actually, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last question of the day is what what inspires you, whether it's something you get to do every day in your work or it's what you're uh, witnessing in the community? Um, I get inspired by seeing um, seeing people connect who otherwise wouldn't have been connected. Um, in particular, I I love to see collaboration between our students and volunteers like that's inspirational because it's like my my focus is like how can we add value and like those types of connections wouldn't otherwise happen like I know that they wouldn't happen because you know these students wouldn't have access to you know Atlassian otherwise and like a software engineer can't just like walk into a school and say like hey I want to talk to your kids like it's like (laughs) <laughs> we're going to call the cops. Um, so, so like we serve as this really cool conduit to connect these communities that, that do want to speak and we do so in a meaningful way. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And like you, you and, and your whole team are literally changing like the trajectory of lives. Like it's simply put. So um, Matt, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm super excited to stay up to date with how y'all continue to iterate and do great in the community. Um, but yeah, thanks again so much for coming on today, man. Thanks for having me, Alexander. Appreciate it. And thanks to all the listeners for listening in on another episode. We'll see you on the other side.